for the rest of you this morning and uh, choir, y'all might want to hurry because you're going to need to you're going to need to follow instructions this morning. And uh, if I can just have the rest of your attention, this is for you. I need you to clear your desk, take out one piece of paper and a pencil and be ready for this next set of questions. Man, that, that phrase still gives me chills. Anybody else feel that way? Like, I heard a few murmurs like, like, hey, if we get up and leave now, they'll think we're in the choir. You know, it's like, we're not going to stick around for that. Do y'all remember that phrase? You go and you sit down in class, and the teacher comes in, and she's smiling, which is always the first cue. You know, it's like, uh, something's not right. She's smiling. And she says, take out a single, take off every, take everything off your desk except for a piece of paper and a pencil. And it's like, this is about to be really bad. I always got the first one right. I always got the first one right. I misspelled it a few times, but I always got the first one right. Put your name at the top. (laughs) Always got the first right. Today we're going to be talking about the test. And I still get nervous. I still kind of break out in sweats when I hear somebody just remember that phrase. Clear your desk. Take out a piece of paper and a pencil. And get ready to be beat when you get home. I mean, it's just, they could have just, it all went together. But I started looking about this. What are tests good for? We all, we all have tests. You know, students, spoiler alert, even when you get out of school, there's still tests. But what are tests good for? Tests are good to measure progress. Kind of see what you've, what you've done, what you've learned, how far you've come. Tests are good to challenge what we know. Kind of a prove it moment, you know. Uh, tests are good to see if we've been paying attention. Yeah, that's, that's typically why I got so nervous when she out a pop test to see if we've been paying attention. Tests are good to know if we have mastered this step and if we're ready to move on to the next step. Tests are good. We might not enjoy them, but tests and good. When we were in school, we thought tests were for the school teachers and for the administrators, you know, to, to measure the, the grades, to see if we've achieved enough to, to move on to the next level or if, see if they've achieved enough to get more funding, I mean, whatever. We, we always thought we we're just taking these tests for these teachers because that's their job. But in actuality, the tests we took, they were for us. The tests that we took, the tests that we still take, are showing us that we can do it. They're showing us that we have what it takes to move on, to take the next step in our journey. Today, I am relieved to tell you there is no pop test. So you can put your pen and paper down, uh, I mean, some of you might have been excited about it. You need therapy, but, uh, but, but you can put it, we're not, not even pep test, pop test today, but at the end, we are going to let you grade your own papers. So there's a good thing there. I'm going to invite you to turn to Malachi chapter three, uh, Malachi chapter three. Easy way to do that is turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the new Testament. And when you get to Matthew, uh, start hanging a left, a few pages. Uh, Malachi is the last book of the old Testament. And as you turn there, just a little bit more information about Malachi. It is the last book of the old Testament. Uh, so when we see this, um, the only thing really we know about Malachi was that his name meant my messenger, my messenger. Malachi was a prophet whose name meant my messenger. And that's, that's pretty key because after the book of Malachi, God goes silent for about 400 years. There's no new prophecy. There's no prophet sent. There's new message, no new message. It's just 400 years of silence from God. So it's kind of pivotal at that. But where we pick up in this story when we're looking at Malachi uh, is where we're finding the Israelites because that's where we've been following. In the Old Testament, you can just track the, the movement of the Israelites, the Jews, 
Uh, and where we see them at this point, this is about 100 years after they have returned from, from being exiled. So if you all remember a few months ago when we studied the book of Haggai, um, that was kind of as they were coming back from exile. This is about 100 years after that, okay? Uh, so the, the Israelites have been restored moderately back to their homelands and were still trying to establish themselves. But most importantly, what we find in the Israelite people when we pick up in the book of Malachi is that the Jews had become careless in their attitudes toward God. They had become careless in how they thought of God and how they responded to God and how they submitted to God, how they served God. Matter of fact, uh, a little bit later in Malachi, we're not going to look at it today, uh, but actually later in Malachi chapter 3, verse 14, it says, you, said, you have said, God talking to the people, the Israelites have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? This was their whole attitude, their whole mindset towards, towards serving the Lord. They had grown very careless towards God. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Let's be up front before we dive in. I need to ask you one question, and, and this is a question that I do ask for an audible response. Okay? I do ask that you respond out loud to this question. The question is a yes or no question, and the question is this. Do you believe in the work of the church? Yes. When I say the church, I'm not talking about Westmead Baptist Church. I'm talking about the capital C Church, the body of believers. Do you believe in the work of the church? Yes. All right. If you're going to say that answer, I hope you hold to it. As we unpack this text this morning, I want you to understand, because some people struggle with this, we are going to be talking about tithing this morning. And it might look a little different than, than how we normally talk about it, but I just want you to know up front, I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that we're talking about tithing. I know people don't like talking about tithing, but the truth of the matter is this, God's Word talks about it. My role in life is to make sure to equip people to live biblically, and if we're going to live biblically, then we have to study what God's Word says, and if we know what it says, then guess what we can do? Live biblically. So this morning, as we look at this text, just wanted you to know where we're headed. And as everybody's going to be looking at their text, you can slip out if you're offended by that. But I hope you don't. It's God's word. But beginning in verse 6 of chapter 3 in the book of Malachi, this is what, this is what we see. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, starts off with God speaking. And again, Malachi being a prophet of the Lord, God speaking through him. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. 
I want us to kind of walk through this text, kind of unpack it, see what he's talking about here contextually, and then look at what it means for us. I promise you there's a point to this as we walk through it. So as we start off looking at this passage of Scripture, there's something else I told you that was going on that I, excuse me, there was something else going on I didn't tell you about, and it was this. Because of their turning away from God, the whole curse that God referenced there was that their crops were not producing the fruit they needed. Some crops had withered up. So you see here, this says the fruits were, were falling off the vine before they were ripe, which means they were pointless to keep. You couldn't eat them. You couldn't consume them. The curse was God had cursed their crops. And I love as we dive into this text, I love the fact that God is pointing to a bigger picture here. See, earlier we were talking about how the Israelites were complaining about serving God because it was such a burden to them. Those poor little Israelites of everything that God has brought them through, I mean, that they've had to endure that there's such a burden to have to serve the Lord. God's token, looking, pushing them back to a bigger picture. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. See, they're complaining about serving the Lord. God's reminding them of one thing. He's like, man, aren't you glad that I'm God and you're not? Because if I wasn't God, you'd be destroyed. You'd just be done. And it's probably relevant because if you think about who were the ruling parties of this day as, as kingdoms and empires were rising and falling uh, at the force of sword and, and the size of the armies, for a group of people that called themselves a nation to be this disobedient to a king, the king would have destroyed the nation. The king would have gotten really just frustrated and be like, you know what, they're not being obedient, they're not serving me, the ruler of the empire, the whatever title they give themselves, I want you to wipe them all out. And we'll use that land for something else. So while they were sitting there complaining about serving the Lord, God just kind of takes a step back and behave. Isn't it good that I'm God because you're not dead? Huh, imagine that. God's pointing them to a much bigger picture of how patient and how loving he is. Now, what happens is, and y'all have read, read bits and pieces of the Old Testament. What happens when things start going south for the, for the Israelites? What do they typically do? They're whiners. They run and scream and yell to God, Oh God, save us from this hour. Get us out of this place. Bail me out. And then he does. And then what do they do? They whine again. They turn their backs on God. So we're in one of those seasons where they've turned their backs on God. And God's like, man, aren't I good? You rely on me for every single little thing that you need. And even then you complain about it. But because I'm God, you're not destroyed. Because I am still the Lord your God. The God Almighty, you are not destroyed. And what he's about to walk them through is the idea that total dependence on God should require total submission to God. Total dependence on God should require total submission to God. Look what he says here. Look how he starts this sentence in verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Let's think about it in the context of these Israelites. So God found the Israelites, made them his chosen people several books earlier through Abraham. And he made a covenant with them. And he's reminding them in that one phrase alone of the covenant that he made with them. I, the Lord, do not change. The same covenant that you are under with God, that's the one I put into place. I was the only one out of all of you that was still around from that. And I'm still faithful. But let me ask you this question, church. When God says, I, the Lord, do not change... But yet things are different now than they were before. Who's the variable in this equation? Now there's a math question for you. Pop this. Who's the variable in the equation? People. We are. 
I, the Lord, do not change. And so if something's different, that means you changed. Your hearts departed from me. You moved away from me. I, the Lord, do, do not change. And because I don't change, you're not being destroyed. But because the things are different now, our, our situation's a little different, it's because you keep wandering away in disobedience. And I love that not only is he bringing this idea to them that, hey, I'm God, I don't change. Because I don't change, you're still, you're still alive, you haven't been destroyed. I want you to return to me, and I'll return to you. And they ask the question that pretty much, I'm not going to speak for anybody in this room, but for myself. I've asked this question before. God, how do I return to you? I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just a, a really big mess up with a microphone. Uh, so all throughout my life, I've made a lot of mistakes in terms of my relationship with God, where I thought I could figure it out and do it on my own. I'm just being honest. And inevitably, in the middle of that moment, God shakes the world around me a little bit, shakes my little world that I thought I was in control of to remind me that he's still a God, and because of him, I haven't been destroyed. And and in those moments, I recognize who I am and who I'm not, and I recognize God for who he is, and I start thinking, okay, I need to go, I need to return to the Lord. And I've asked that question multiple times, God, how do I return to you? And and it's, it's, they ask the same question, the end of verse 6, verse 7, but you ask, how are we to return? And I love God's response to that. He answers their question with a question. He answers their question with a question. Because he says, will a mere mortal rob God? And on the surface, when you're reading this, you're like, hey, God, they just asked you how they can return to you. You responded to their question with a question about them robbing you. How in the world, what are you you talking about here, God? Do you see that they're trying... God sees through the lip service. If you can take anything else from this this message, I want you to hear something, church. God sees through our lip service. So that when we turn around and and when Justin and all of his depravity is like, man, I, I really need to return to the Lord. God, how do I return to you? God sees my heart in that. And he knows if my desire to truly return to the Lord is is legit or if it's just lip service because I got busted. God sees through the heart of this, and he sees through the heart of his people right now in the area of obedience. That's why he answered the question with a question. How do we return to you? Is mere mortals going to rob God? Because their next question was, well, how are we robbing God? Now, he starts talking about tithe, but the big picture here is obedience, which is the same answer to the question they first asked. How do we return to you, God? Through obedience. Stop being disobedient to me. Stop robbing me. Stop neglecting what I've already told you to do. See, church, understand this. When we wander off from God, when we kind of go our own way and kind of get consumed in our own little world for maybe way too long, it's not some earth-shattering thing that we have to do. It's not a bunch of hoops we have to jump through. God is not a God of merit. It's a God of grace. Therefore, it's not, well, what do I have to create new to reestablish my relationship with God? Nothing. You go back to being obedient and submissive to the Father. It's not something we have to do that's new. It's go back to what it's always been. Go and be obedient to the Lord your God because of his great love for you, because he doesn't change, and because of that, you're not destroyed in your disobedience. Just go back and be obedient. We do not enhance the favor of God with our simple acknowledgement of needing to return to God. Do you all know that? 
The fact that we can sit down and be like, oh God, I really messed up and I need to return to you. So Father, return to me. If we're just acknowledging our need to return to God, there's no, there's no benefit in that. For you or for God. There's no joy we bring to the Father's heart when we're just giving him lip service because, you know what, I probably need to return to the Lord. Man, I bet that blessed God. No. Doing it blesses God. Obedience blesses the Lord. Obedience declares the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives, church. It's our obedience that we return back to God. It is a heart issue. It requires a full turn. It requires full submission. It requires a full repentance. That's why that the very first time that I recognized my absolute need, I was 16 years old when I recognized that I needed Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Because at 16 years old and all this, this kingdom I had built that didn't expand much fat past my bed. In my life, everything that I had tried to put together to make sense was still meaningless and pointless and hurtful. Because everything I had built my life around was what I thought I was in control of. And I recognized my absolute need for something more that I couldn't attain on my own. See, and it wasn't enough for me to be laying in my bed when I was 16 years old. And thank God that my parents raised, and I literally mean thank you God that my parents raised me in church so that I knew what God's word said, even if I didn't understand it and even if I didn't obey it, I knew what God's word says so that when the Holy Spirit convicted me at the age of 16 and made me aware of my fallen state, I knew that I could call out to God. And I knew that it wasn't like, okay, God, I really get it now. I need to give my life to you. You're welcome. That's not what it looked like. Our relationship with God doesn't depend on us and all of our wonderful words. And if that's what we keep going back to, if that's one of these things that, and I've talked to so many people, particularly with myself, that we struggle about, am I saved, am I not saved? I remember saying this, but I don't remember this. But we have all these doubts and fears. Understand this, guys, ladies, you should never doubt what God has done. When it comes to your salvation, there is no doubt. Jesus Christ paid it all on the cross. Never doubt that. And the only person we ever doubt in that is us. And we struggle with that. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about that if you're kind of in that boat. But when it comes to our relationship with God, it doesn't start with acknowledging we need God. It starts with a full dependence on God. It starts with a complete turn, complete submission of God. I'm done with me. I need you. It comes back to our obedience and seeking out how we can be obedient, submissive to God the Father. The people that we look at, these Israelites, they were not being obedient. They were being punished because of their disobedience. They were being punished because their hearts were far from God. He's calling them out on it. Well, how do we return? Start being obedient. Well, how do we be obedient? God says, well, let's start with tithes and offerings. Let's start with tithes and offerings. The practice of tithing, tithing itself, the word tithing means tenth, ten percent. It actually started back in Deuteronomy chapter 14. We see in Mosaic law that God declared for the people to bring their first fruits before him, to bring their first fruits and enjoy them in the presence of the Lord, to bring their first fruits into where God is. In this context, they use the phrase, excuse me, they use the phrase storehouse to bring this into the presence of the Lord. The Israelites had grown weary 
They had grown weary of being obedient. They had grown weary of serving that this was the first thing that they kind of checked off the list to be like, you know what, we're just going to take care of ourselves. We saw that again a few months ago in Haggai, that they stopped worrying about what God was calling them to do and started trying to build their own little fortunes, build their own little nice little kingdoms up, that they put everything that God called them and created them to do so they could accomplish their own things. The people here are doing the same thing. It's just funny to me. It's funny because it's so identifiable with me that these people are so disobedient that God is even equating it to robbing him, but yet they're asking the question, well, how do we return to you? You know, everybody wants to return to the Lord until it costs them something. I speak from experience. We really want to get back to where we were with God, but when we realize is what it's going to cost us, our reputation, our pride, we're going to have to apologize. We're going to have to make some things right. We're going to have to get over ourselves. We're going to have to pay back. We're going to have to pay forward. We're going to have to do something. When it starts realizing it's going to cost us something to get back under the submission of lordship of Christ, that's when we start questioning whether or not we truly desire to return to the Lord. Remind me what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Church, when we are obedient, when we are being submissive to the Lord, it's going to cost us something. But I guarantee you what it will cost us is only valued according to these world standards. What we will gain is the glory of God to be made known in our lives, and there's nothing greater that the world can learn from us than to see that lived out. I remember my roommate, Mark White, he used to tell me all the time, Justin, if the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. I live by that phrase. I love that phrase. I used it like a week or two ago. If the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. If the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. It would be like this. If I said, hey, I duct taped 50 cents under somebody's seat this morning. Awesome. It's really nice of you, Justin. I hope my grandson gets it. If I were to come back and say, hey, I duct taped $10,000 under the seat of somebody in this church this morning. I don't think anybody would be listening. That would be like people full belly on the ground going under the pews looking for the ten grand. You know why? Because if the cause is great enough, the cost is irrelevant. 50 cents, I don't want to disturb church by leaning over and see if it's under my chair. I'm not going to get on the floor. I don't want to get my shirt. $10,000? You better get out my way. I mean, we are all about it. The cause is great enough. Doesn't matter what it costs us. This morning, church, is obedience to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ great enough for you? I'm not using that as a transition. I'm asking you the question for you to answer in your own head. Is the cause of Jesus Christ's lordship in your life great enough for you that the cost would be irrelevant? Joshua 24, 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I love how Joshua just drew a line in the sand and put his feet firmly where he was. And it wasn't just that he chose to live there. He declared it. I'm going to serve the Lord. It's going to cost me something. But you know what? This This is the path I've chosen. I'm ready to move forward in being obedient in that. So we see the Israelites, they turned away. They want to get re, um, 
They want to return to the Lord. How do we return to the Lord? They return to the Lord through obedience. And then what happens when we're obedient to the Lord? We see the evidence. We see the evidence. You can see what we're talking about here where we pick up the land had been cursed by God because of their disobedience. The land would have been, has been cursed by God because it was just not a, it wasn't enough for them to serve the Lord. It was kind of a drag for them. But what does God say right here towards the end of this text? If I, it's, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. He says, I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops, their fruit, before it's ripe, says the Lord. And they'll get verse 12. This is a key verse here. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Why will the nations call them blessed? Because they'll see that the Lord, the God Almighty, is their Lord. But how will they see that the Lord God Almighty is their God? For yours will be a delightful land. For yours will be a delightful land. You know, it is, it is very evident and highly visible to see people who have surrendered everything to the Lord. You know that? You could probably speak to somebody in your life and say, hey, if I were to ask you, who is, who is the one person in your, in your life that you know for a fact they love the Lord Jesus Christ? You probably can't, could answer pretty quickly, and it's probably based on what you've seen come out of their life. That's what God is saying here. These nations are going to call you blessed. These nations are going to know exactly whose God is your God because they're going to see it in the results of your land. They're going to see it in the fruit. They're going to see it in the crop. They're going to see it in the vegetation. They're going to know just by looking at your nation, just by seeing the goodness of your crops, of your fruit, that the Lord, your God, is the Lord, your God. Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That's exactly what God was saying here in Malachi 3. Because when you become obedient unto the Lord, and you start doing what he's commanded you to do, you start doing what he's created you to do, I will bless you. I will provide for you. I will give you everything you need. And just like we talked about last week, talking about those who gave... When we try to, when we see what God gives, it's always enough, it always meets every need, and it's always even more than we ask for. And God is telling them here, when you become obedient, look at what I can do. Now here's the question, what does this mean for us? I mean, primarily we're focusing on obedience in this text. You know, we're not walking through numbers or anything, we're about to. But what does this mean for us? I found this on nonprofitsource.com, it says this. Tithers, people who tithe, make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. It's across, it's across the nation. Only 5% tithe. 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income. Now, that's not Christians, that's not churches, it's just 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income. You know what Christians are giving? Two and a half percent of their income. 
And to give you some perspective, during the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. We're actually giving less now when we have more. That's the numbers that are given out. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do a few numbers crunching them myself. 2019, Westmead Baptist Church, 64% of our church members have given tithe in 2019. And I thought, praise God. And then I was heavily convicted. Because 64% of our church members have given something towards the tithe. David and I were talking about it. David said, you know what? I could have put two pennies in an envelope and turned it in, and I would have made that list. You're exactly right, Dave. That doesn't mean we're tithing. That means we have given 64%. And it's really good. That 64%, it's like, wow, 10 to 25%, 2.5%. That's really good. That's really good if we're living in a comparison world, comparing ourselves from one center to another. But let me ask you these questions, church. Would it be good, would it be good for Westmead Baptist Church if 64% of our church didn't abuse their marital relationships? Would we be okay with that? If 36% of our congregation was abusing their spouse, if a third of us were abusing their spouse in any way, would we be, would we be like, yeah, we're doing it. We're better than the national average. Would it be good if 65% of our church weren't guilty of murdering people? Would you be okay if I said, hey, welcome to Westmead Baptist Church. A third of you in here are murderers and have been found guilty of it. But come on in, grab a seat. Try to find somebody new you haven't talked to and shake their hand this morning. You really going to go after that? Would would we be okay with 64% of our church weren't guilty of murder? Would it be good if 64% of our church worshipped God and God only, but the other 36% worshipped something else entirely? Would we be okay with that? Would it be okay if only 64% of our church weren't thieves and stealers? Would it be okay if only 64% of our church endorsed marriage between a man and a woman as the biblical model of marriage? Would we be okay if that it was just 64%? Would we be okay if 64% of our church believed that abortion is a wrong? Are these numbers that we are okay with, church? Would it be okay if, if 64% of our church loved our neighbors as ourselves? Would we be okay with that? My answer to you is no. When I was in school, 64% is failing. It's not good enough. You don't move on because 64% is not good enough. Now let me show you something here. And you've heard this before, but I've got to point it out to you. Look at this in the passage of Scripture. It's in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe Not your two pennies in an envelope, Dave. Bring the whole tithe. And we just use that as an example. I know you're not guilty of that. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then what's he say? Test me on this. The Lord God Almighty himself, out of 66 books in Scripture, this is the only time he uses this phrase, test me on this. My son's going to be starting first grade. And I will gladly, next year when school starts, I will gladly go into his first grade class and squeeze myself into whatever little chair he has to sit down and say, hey, you know what, teach? You give me any test my son has to take right now. Test me on it right now. Arithmetic, bring it. Oh, they got to learn subtraction? Give it to me. Test. You know why I could handle that? Because I know everything there is to know that first graders are going to be engaged with this year. You take me to some of their classrooms, 64% would be really good for me. 
So for the fact that God tells his church, God tells his chosen people, and because we still have God's word to this day, and God has said, test me on this, I'm pretty sure I know what grade he's going to make. I'm pretty sure he's not just going to pass, he's going to excel and achieve. This is the only place in scripture. What do you think his grade would be when he looks at you and says, test me on this? I know what I'm talking about when I call you as a church to obedience. 64%, according to the world standards, is really good. But I am the Lord, your God. You want to return to me? You want me to return to you? I need you to be obedient. I promise you guys, all this is adding last week, those who gave this week, talking about the test. We're going to be talking about a little bit next week in the context of, of being excited of what we got going. I promise you we're adding up the church This is what God is calling us to do, to live biblically. For a really long time, I wasn't one of these people. For a really long time, longer than I'm proud to admit, I was inconsistent in my tithe. I didn't bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, just what I thought was enough to kind of let go of my ego so I can feel better about myself. It wasn't an obedience. But let me tell you this, ever since I started tithing consistently and bringing the whole storehouse to the Lord, bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, I can't imagine to begin to tell you how the joy of the Lord has transformed my life and my family's life. Matter of fact, I've never met another tither that has ever looked at me and said, man, I just, I regret that we started that whole tithe thing. Gosh, what a nightmare. I've never heard somebody say that. I've actually never met somebody who said, yeah, we used to tithe, but I've never met anybody that said that. You know what that tells me? It tells me that God's pretty good when he says, test me on this. So if each one of us is called to do their own part, I can't give for anyone other than for me. And if we truly, truly claim to believe in the work of the church, the work God is doing in the church, you said yes because you agree with that statement, you believe that. And if we truly want the surrounding nations to see the goodness of the Lord God by looking at our lands, by looking at what's coming out of this church, by looking at the fruits at how we're investing in the foreign mission field, how we're investing in the United States church and how we're investing in our community and our state. If we want God to see that, then it's time for us to be submissive. It's time for us to be obedient. And it might cost you something. But you'll never look back. Because he said, test me on this. Could you say that to God? God, test me on this. I know in this room there have been faithful tithers for a long time, and I'm so thankful for your example and your obedience. But if God is dealing with your hearts, and it might not be financially, it might be in your time. Guys, you've got to understand that when we're good stewards with things, it's not just our money. Please don't get over Don't fall into that trap where you think, well, we talked about money the whole morning. No, we talked about obedience all morning. With VBS coming up, with opportunities to serve and to build the kingdom of God through where he has planted us, are we being faithful in our obedience to the Lord in that? Test me on this. It's time to grade your own paper. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is still truth. I thank you that it is 
encouraging and rebuking and correcting all at the same time. And Father God, today, where your word is speaking, may we be good listeners. May we be submissive to it, Father. God, I pray this morning that as we enter into a time that we actually get to respond to you. That we check our pride and our ego at the door. We put our feelings to the side and we just go back to your word. And God, whatever it is you're calling us to, show us how to trust you in it. It might be to give and to serve in a teaching role. It might be to serve as an usher or a greeter. It might be to take up a, a, be a larger role in our Sunday school class. It might be to start coming to Sunday school to tithe our time, God, so that we can invest in what you're trying to pour into us. God, maybe it is financially because we're trying to build our own kingdom. And there's always the, yeah, well, when I get to this point, I'm going to start tithing. God, meet us where we are. Speak truth to our hearts. According to your word, not according to our preference. And God, lead us to the place where we become more obedient than we were when we walked in this place today, for whatever that looks like. So God, today we ask to return to you. And in doing so, Father, we know you require obedience in doing so. So today, Father, even now, awaken our hearts to where we need to find new areas in our life that we can be obedient to you. Be glorified today, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. If I can pray for you or with you in any way, please come down. Let's talk about it.